Welcome to the Storytime Clinic, where children's books and health collide. I'm your host, pediatrician Dr. Mfan Umarin, and every week I spotlight a children's book featuring a character with a health condition. My goal is to inspire conversations that will help all of us better understand and support kids with health conditions. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the Storytime Clinic. Today is episode 21. If you were with us for our last episode, we talked about alopecia, which is a word that basically just means hair loss. And we talked about there being many different reasons why a person can experience hair loss. But one of the ones that is most familiar to a lot of us is when a person goes through cancer treatments. So I thought this would be a good segue into today's episode, which is going to be all about cancer. In case you don't know, September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And since this is the area that I work in, and since I'm biased, <laughs> unashamedly, I'm going to do two episodes on childhood cancer because this is such a large topic. And this way, it'll give us an opportunity to talk about things from a little bit of a different perspective for each of these episodes. All right. So let's talk about this cancer, the big C. What is cancer? What does that mean? So in order to do this, I'm going to take you guys back a little bit into biology class. So it's time for everyone's favorite thing, pop quiz. Yay. <laughs> Sorry if you were not prepared, but don't worry. This pop quiz only has one question on it. Question is, what is a cell? And look, guess what? I'm even going to give you the answer to this pop quiz so your heart can stop beating now. Well, not all the way. We still need you to be alive. <laughs> okay. A cell is the basic building block of our bodies. So if we think about a house and think about the bricks that come together to form the house, the brick would be the basic building block in that situation. So in our body, cells are the basic building blocks. They're kind of the smallest unit that comes together to build up our bodies. And specific cell types come together to form different tissues. So certain cell types are going to form the heart, going to form the kidneys, and so on and so forth. And this information that programs how the cells work is found in your DNA, which is inside the cell. So that's your genetic information. So normally cells have kind of a life cycle. They get instructions or signals that tell them when it is time to grow. And then these cells grow bigger. They copy that DNA, that genetic material that's inside of them, and then they divide. And in this way, they allow tissues to grow and get bigger as needed. Wow, I guess now we've morphed into math class with all this division and multiplication. <laughs> but in any case, this is how these cells grow. And then when they get older or damaged in some way, then they die off and they are cleared off by our immune system. But sometimes 
Abnormal or damaged cells keep growing when they are not supposed to. And this forms a tumor. When we think about tumors, we usually ask the question, is it benign or is it cancerous? A benign tumor is still an abnormal kind of growth, but it just kind of casually grows in its own place. It doesn't venture anywhere. It doesn't grow as aggressively or as harmfully as a cancer will. So most of the time, benign is good news, but benign tumors can also cause problems. For example, if it grows in the brain, where there's really not a lot of space for anything additional to be growing, even if it's not a full-on cancer. Now, when we talk about cancer, what makes a cancer cell different from a regular cell? Well, I like to think about it like a cancer cell is like a really, really bad driver. Now, when we drive, we know that our behavior is regulated by traffic rules, laws and regulations, by traffic signs, stop signs, one-way signs, the like. All of those things help us know exactly what we're supposed to be doing on the road. Cancer is like a bad driver in a couple of different ways. Firstly, cancer cells go even when they don't have a green light. So these cells grow even without having any signals that tell them it's time to grow or multiply or divide. They just do it all on their own. Also, cancer cells run red lights and ignore stop signs. So they ignore the usual rules and signals that tell them it's time to stop growing. Thirdly, cancer cells do not respect boundaries. So usually when we drive, we know we don't cross double yellow lines. We stay in our lane. (laughs) Cancer cells are going to drive on the wrong side of the road. They're going to go down one-way roads. They're going to drive up onto sidewalks. They are reckless. So cancer cells ignore boundaries. They invade the tissues that are near them. Cancer cells also love them a good road trip. And there's nothing wrong with a road trip if that is in the plan. But in this case, this is like letting someone borrow your car to go to the grocery store and they end up 600 miles away in California, an unexpected road trip. So cancer cells can go to different parts of the body. And this is called metastasizing. They can metastasize and set up shop somewhere else and continue to grow in a different area. Finally, cancer cells are really, really skillful at avoiding the police. (laughs) The immune system usually is involved in getting rid of old and damaged cells, right? So they're kind of like the police of the system. But cancer cells have evolved and developed really wily ways to kind of avoid the police, to avoid the mechanisms that usually shut down these cells. Now, why does a person actually get cancer? So we know that for some cancers, the likelihood of getting the cancer is inherited or passed down from the parent to the child. But in many other cases, it is spontaneous, meaning that there's no, it's not inherited. So in these cases, 
A mutation or a mistake can happen when a cell is copying itself and dividing. And if there's a mistake in one of those genes that normally keeps everything under control and regulates the way cells grow and die, then that is a potential for a cancer to happen at that time. We know that some of the things that can cause mutations or cause damage to DNA are things like UV rays from the sun, which is why we tell people to wear sunscreen to protect their skin from getting skin cancer. We also know that things like smoking can cause uh, DNA damage as well and can lead to cancer in the lungs. So there are some things that we know that can contribute to a person's risk of getting cancer. Um, but sometimes we cannot really make a link between what someone has been exposed to and they're getting cancer. And this is especially the case in young children as well, because they haven't had a lot of time to be exposed to many things. Now, when I started out, I mentioned that September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And every once in a while, I still come across people who are really shocked that children get cancer. They mostly hear about cancers in adults. And so it's very surprising to them to hear about a child who is going through cancer. But in fact, this is not very uncommon. In the United States every year, there's more than 10,000 children that are diagnosed with cancers. Cancers can come from any different type of tissue. So you have cancers of the brain, of the eye, of the nervous system, of the blood. But the most common type of cancer in children is leukemia, which is a blood cancer. Although our survival rates have gotten much better over the years, so overall about 85% of children will survive their cancer diagnosis, even though that is the case, cancer is still one of the leading causes of death from diseases in children. Okay, well, I think this is a great place to take a pause and introduce you to the book that I read for this episode. And the name of this book is Wink, and it is by Rob Harrell. This is a middle grade book featuring a main character whose name is Ross. And Ross is minding his own business in the middle of a wonderful summer when his eye all of a sudden starts to swell up for no good reason. When this happens for a few days in a row, Rob gets taken to the doctor where he finds out that he has a mass. Now, the way that cancer presents itself or the symptoms of cancer are going to be really different for each person depending on where exactly the cancer is located. Some people may come to the doctor because they're worried about a mass or a growth somewhere that they can see and feel. But for other people, it might just be vague symptoms like feeling tired a lot, having fevers, looking pale, because it depends on where the cancer is affecting the body. Regardless of how they came to the doctor's attention, if a doctor is worried about cancer, there's going to be a lot of follow-up tests to really answer that question properly. So this might involve things like blood tests. It might involve imaging scans. It might even involve biopsy. And a biopsy is taking a very small sample from a mass, usually using a needle, 
And then that is able to be looked at under a microscope and can give us clues as to what we're looking at exactly and if it's a cancer or not. Needless to say, this is a lot of procedures and a lot of things to deal with, especially if a child has been pretty healthy up until this point. Um, so this might be a source of anxiety for them. Um, they might have some fear around some of these procedures and they might need some additional attention to help them prepare for these kinds of procedures and to cope. We did an episode previously, if you look back on episode 10, this episode was revolving around child life as a specialty. So child life professionals really help to guide children and their families through the process of coping with an illness, of um, being hospitalized, of the multiple medical procedures and things like that that might happen through the course of their illness. And so these professionals are particularly helpful in a case like this to explain some terms to children, explain some procedures that they will undergo. For example, it might be helpful for a child to know that a CAT scan is not going to involve any actual cats and a pet scan, unfortunately, is not going to involve any little animals for them to pet and play with either. So <laughs> helping to set some expectations for some of these procedures that they will undergo and just to overall make them a little bit more comfortable with what's happening and reduce their anxiety a little bit. So go back and check out episode 10 if you're interested in hearing a little bit more about how child life professionals support children. The purpose of doing some of these additional scans is to help a doctor stage a cancer, to figure out how advanced it has become. So if a cancer is invading the tissues around it, or if it has metastasized, meaning if it has traveled from where it originally started to a different part of the body, that's going to be a more advanced type of cancer. And sometimes a different type of treatment approach may need to be done for those cases. Now, it turns out that Ross has a really rare cancer of his eye, or to be more specific, of the gland that makes tears for his eye. I mean, Cancer can develop anywhere, in places that you never even think about or things that you take for granted. But the type of cancer that he has is not so integral to the story as just walking through and understanding the experience of having a life-threatening diagnosis as a 12-year-old child when all the rest of life around you is continuing to go on. Rob Harrow creates a really well-rounded character with emotions and feelings that feel very authentic, feel very real and believable for being a middle schooler, but also going through something that's very heavy and life-changing. Ross is not one-dimensional. He's not sad all the time. He's not angry all the time. He's not terrified all the time. He has real emotions. There is still some humor infused into the book. He has good days and he has bad days. And so I think that really being able to appreciate and see the entire spectrum of emotions and really understand what the whole experience can be like for another child, this is something that is really powerful to read in a book. And I think that the reason why 
these feelings feel so authentic is because of the author's own experiences in battling this very same cancer in his own life. So in addition to being an author, Rob Harrell is also a graphic designer and illustrator, and he wrote a very successful comic strip for several years as part of his career. In 2006, he was diagnosed with having this tumor or cancer of the tear glands of his eyes. And he had to undergo a lot of the very same experiences that he has taken and infused into this book. So the diagnosis, the biopsies, the scans, the surgeries, the radiotherapy, these are all experiences that he drew on in writing this book. But he chose to write about his experiences as a middle grade novel because of the experiences of a friend's daughter who had cancer going through high school. There's a really good interview, a Q&A session that someone did with him after this book came out. And so I'll post a link to that in the show notes if anyone is interested in just hearing more about why he made the decision to write the book the way he did. When we think about treatment options for cancers, these are going to depend on the type of cancer. It's going to depend on how advanced the cancer is and several other decisions in that way. It might involve surgery if the cancer is localized, meaning that it's mostly in one spot. Chemotherapy is something that a lot of us are somewhat familiar with. So medications that treat cancer. You can also have radiotherapy, which uses radiation to damage and kill cancer cells. There's also things like immune therapy where we can train the immune system to target these cancer cells more effectively. And then there is stem cell transplant. Our main character, Ross, ends up getting a surgery on his eye. And then he also goes through eight weeks of radiation therapy, which he does as he's going through school. And that in itself is a bit difficult because then he has to experience all the side effects of the radiation therapy while he's in school. His skin gets irritated, and so it's red and it's cracking and it's oozing. His hair starts falling out. He has to wear a hat at all times to protect his really sensitive skin um, because of the radiation. <laughs> which earns him a few fun nicknames in school. <laughs> and because of the surgery, his right eye no longer makes tears because that is the gland that was taken out. And so he is walking around school with his ointments, with his artificial teardrops to put in his eye, with his cowboy hat, <laughs> with his hair falling out. It is not an easy time for him to be in middle school at all. And some of the kids are really insensitive and he has a hard time with that in school. Other kids don't particularly mean to be mean, but they just don't really know how to handle being around somebody who is really sick. Ross tells us, one kid came up to me and in hushed tones asked if I was dying. Another kid just came up and told me that his uncle had died of cancer. He walked away like he was proud he'd opened up to the sick kid, but I had a worried knot in my stomach for two periods after that. What is most hurtful to Ross is when one of his very best friends sort of completely disconnects and stops associating with him completely again because he's just not sure how to 
act around the fact that Ross is sick and Ross has an illness that he could possibly die from. So it's very difficult for his friend to deal with this as well. I like that the book made a point of representing this perspective because cancer affects so many people outside of just the child. It affects the parents, it affects the siblings, it affects their close friendships as well, as everyone worries about how this child is going to do through the treatment and most especially worries about the final outcome. Are they going to survive or are they not going to make it through? So this can bring up a lot of really challenging emotions, not just in the child, but in those around them. And parents naturally worry a lot about how to talk to their child about having such a significant diagnosis. Some parents may be tempted to hide the diagnosis from the child, thinking that they won't be able to handle it. But many children are aware of a lot more than we realize. They know that something is not right. They know that their parents are worried. And being in the dark about something might actually increase their anxieties because their imaginations just fill in when they don't have the actual information there. So it is important to involve and educate children about what is going on. And this can be done in a manner that is sensitive to their age and the amount of information that they need. There's a lot of good resources that help guide parents around this issue. One of them that I particularly want to mention is an amazing book called When Your Child is Sick. And this book is by Joanna Breyer. The tagline on the book says, this is a guide to navigating the practical and emotional challenges of caring for a child who is very ill. So the author, Joanna Breyer, is a psychologist who worked with children with cancer and their families for more than 25 years at uh, Boston Children's Hospital. And so she has had a lot of experience working with children with cancer and a lot of experience with guiding families through these very difficult kinds of conversations. And so I like that there's certain parts of the book where she outlines how you could approach talking to children of varying ages about their diagnosis, or how you can approach just being there and supporting them and decreasing their anxiety around medical procedures and uh, helping them to understand some of the treatments that they will need for their cancer. I think it's also clear from our main book, Wink, that parents of friends of these children with cancer also need to be giving them audience, giving them space to share their feelings about uh, their friend's illness. Sometimes children have questions that they may be afraid to ask, and so they might need some prompting here and there to talk about these things. This can sometimes be the first time that they've had someone close to them have a significant illness, something that has the prospect of that person dying, not being there anymore. And so this may sometimes raise questions about their own mortality or what happens after people die or, you know, many different questions. So give them time to guide these conversations, find out what it is that they want or need to know in this time and be there for them as a resource. But also encourage them to continue to be 
a good friend to the child who is sick and um and just encourage them in the fact that their their presence and their continued friendship makes a big difference for this child who's already losing so many things in his his or her life. Okay, whew, it packed a lot of things into this episode. And as such, I do not think I could do the book enough justice within the space that I had. I would just say that this book, Wink by Rob Harrell, is really, really well done. And I think it is definitely well worth reading. It's not all doom and gloom. It is, in fact, a very enjoyable book to read with a lot of good humor scattered through there. And I think that this comes from the author Rob Harrell's background as a comic strip writer as well, which he does incorporate with um, a lot of good illustrations and even some comic strips at the end of several chapters. And so again, I think this makes it relatable. I think it makes it approachable enough to read without getting too heavy. And so it's appropriate for the age group that it's geared towards. I hope you do get a chance to check it out. And if you do, absolutely let me know what you think about it. As I mentioned, I will post a few other resources in the show notes. So do keep an eye out for that. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Do share it. It is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, so let someone listen who needs to listen to this. And if you have any resources to share with us as well, please do that in our social medias. Thank you, thank you. And I will see you next week for episode number two on pediatric cancer. Have a great day. For the show notes and links to the books I cover in this episode, please head over to the podcast website at www.storytimeclinic.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share this podcast with other people who may be interested. I'd also love to hear from you if you have book suggestions or health topics you'd like to see me cover. If you want to give me some feedback and help me make this podcast more valuable for you, you can leave a review on iTunes or send me an email at thestorytimeclinic at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and I will see you in the next episode.